Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sound booth there. Thank you guys for faithfully leading us. Thank you, Paul and Shannon, for leading us in that song. And it really sets the tone for where we want to be this morning in our study on prayer Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 15 and move to verse 23. Uh, Our theme for today is praying thoughtfully, praying thoughtfully. Uh, Two weeks ago, we began this study, and we uh, uh, encouraged you to look at Luke chapter 11 as we were praying biblically and try to give you a biblical framework uh, and biblical components to prayer, so not just... Uh, a, a prayer that you recite um, uh, thoughtlessly, but it was an attempt to give a components of prayer, give a framework and foundation uh, for prayer. And so we began that two weeks ago. And then as we begin to walk through uh, those components, then you're going to think, well, when will God not answer? Um, and, and so ultimately, last week, we realized that we should pray humbly, that we should not pray self-centered prayers. We should not pray selfishly. And so ultimately, if it's for God's uh, praying to our heavenly Father, whose name should be hallowed, that it's His kingdom, His His kingdom coming, His will being done here on earth, and not our own. Then ultimately, like the song that we just sang, uh, many times that the the means by which God is going to bring Himself most glory, the means by which God is going to work, is going to be in ways that are uh, counterintuitive to us. That we uh, will not be how we would have orchestrated things, or we would have uh, set them forth. And so ultimately, um, the Bible says we. Uh, you have not because you ask not, so that's a means by which you won't rec- receive answered prayer. If you don't ask, uh, then God's not going to answer. Uh, and then number two, that you can ask and not receive because you ask wrongly or you ask amiss. And that was to, to um, uh, for the purpose of honoring your own selfish desires. And so ultimately that's what we were thinking through that uh, last week. And then this week, praying thoughtfully. And that's bringing it all t- together, if you will, to try to think through the last two weeks uh, in, uh, in conjunction with our passage this morning. And so let me just read it to you, for, uh, Ephesians 1, 15-23. Pray quickly, and then we're going to uh, ho- pray that God will help us to understand this passage, which uh, is full, it's pregnant with truth, and uh, we need God's help to understand. So Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, uh, and this following uh, a, a single sentence between verse 3 to 14 uh, that uh, is... Uh, full of God's sovereign uh, work in salvation for the believer. And so then he picks up here in verse 15 and says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward, the, toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put things put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Lord, we ask, Lord, you would would grant what Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus and directly and indirectly to all saints, that, Lord, that would be a reality for us. Father, we would thank you for your sovereign work of grace and salvation. Lord, we take no credit. We boast not of our own flesh, of our own work, of our own merit. We rise from you, through you, and to you are all things. And so we thank you for the work of grace that we see in our lives, to see in the lives of those around us. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to understand you more 
Help us to understand you in the manner that you've revealed that through your word and that God in that there are difficult truths that we wrestle with. There's difficult concepts. That are counterintuitive to how we would view you or view the world or even view our own selves. Or there be error in teaching. And we've held on to for. Days, weeks, months, years, decades. That your word desires to, desires to bring, will, will bring clarity and your spirit will illumine in our hearts. And I pray, Father, that that would be the case. That the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to understand. And Lord, we know that's, that's you at work. And so help us this morning to do so. That we would know you more. We would love you more. And we would serve you with greater joy. And with greater confidence. And that Lord there would be a. Firm footedness. There would be. We would be established. And not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. But Lord that there would be. A confidence in your word. Through the illumination. Of your word. And so Lord help us. In that this morning. We ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. So our theme is to pray thoughtfully. Now, think through that. It's a question, even the title would be, are you accusing us then that we would, we would pray thoughtlessly? And there could be a variety of answers to that. I, I know that many of us uh, have, have, prayed, have been asked to pray about something and we didn't ask enough questions. Maybe we were hurried. Maybe we, were, um, uh, we didn't know the person very well. We were put in an awkward situation and so you... You just simply pray as they requested without, as we discussed last week, thinking about the motive behind the person's prayer. Uh, and not that we're judging motive, but just to, that the Bible would say that we should uh, be slow to speak and quick to listen. And so that would, even as the Bible would tell us in the book of Ecclesiastes, that's also true when we come before God's uh, throne, that we, we may let our words be few. And so in that, just because someone requests us to pray, we need to be thoughtful of how we pray. And that's literally where we'll be studying next week, praying corporately. How do we pray for one another? And how do we pray for the needs, both physical and spiritual, within the context of our faith family? And it needs to be one that's biblical. It needs to be ones that are humble and thoughtful, as we're going to be saying, or even as we come together to pray corporately. But in this, the the request can be made quickly. And and so we utter up the, the request as given without asking more questions. And if we would have asked a question or two more, we, we would probably have gotten a better understanding. Uh, we could have aided maybe them more, helped show them verses of Scripture that, that, may, uh, that would be a prayer that, was, that God would answer rather than just simply more prayers, better prayer, when ultimately if we have more people praying and, and yet it's, it's, it's prideful prayer doesn't mean if God doesn't hear a selfish prayer, doesn't mean He's going to hear um, a multitude of selfish prayers. No, if He doesn't hear one, He's not going to hear any. And so the reality is that we, we need to be thinking through that. And so as we walk through this series, we want us to be encouraged that we should pray thoughtfully. And so as you walk through uh, Paul's prayer here, and we're going to actually be looking at two prayers. We're going to be looking at this one in verses 15 to 23, and then very, very briefly, right toward the end, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21, just to kind of tie it all together. You see a second prayer there that Paul lists uh, to the, in the letter to the church of Ephesus. But I want us just to see four major points just to kind of help us unpack this. And, and, and it really is helpful if you've not done this to try to begin go through the scriptures, even through over these six weeks of our study about prayer. Just begin to look at the prayers that are prayed throughout the scriptures. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints and begin to look. And you think, man, that seems a lot, very difficult to do. We'll just start with the New Testament and begin to look at the prayers that are prayed in the New Testament. But here's one of those such prayers that we see that Paul prays on behalf of the saints. And here's one of the things that we see immediately from the prayer. Praying thoughtfully, your point number one in your notes. And if you have the notes, I encourage you to take those and, and uh, fill those in. It, I think it would help us, once again, our desires to, as, as, as disciples, we want to make disciples. So what we receive, we want to reproduce in the life of others. But praying thoughtfully begins with trusting a sovereign God who saves. Praying thoughtfully begins with trusting a sovereign God who saves. And before I pull it out of this text, and I'll hopefully let you see it with great clarity from this text, it does not, it's not... Even if it wasn't in the text clearly, which I believe it is absolutely clear in this passage, it would not be an unbiblical statement to make considering where we were two weeks ago. Father, 
hallowed be your name, right? So the reality that we can call him father is that he saves us from our sins, where we were children of wrath, sons and daughters of disobedience, following the prince of power of this world. According to the the course of this world, the reality is that we were uh, enemies of God. And yet it's in his sovereign work of salvation that we now can come to him and call him father or Abba, daddy. And so in this, praying thoughtfully begins with trusting a God who saves And you see that in verse 15, for this reason. And then he communicates, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now, you would tend to want to see that primarily for what reason would be the question. What reason is now he's going to be encouraging the the saints to uh, in verse 16 or he in verse 16 will then come to the Lord in prayer and says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. But the question is, what reason? And I I do believe it's it it sheds light on it in verse 15 when he says because and then lists a reason there. But I believe we would be utterly missing a tremendous aspect of this whole section and not and rip it out of its context if we just left it there alone. I think you could glean that for sure. But what could happen is if you only see that, you may give credit where credit should not be given. Let me explain. For this reason, and you only see in this, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints only. What might be ha- we see in here is actually we're, we're, we're thankful for the saints. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But he's actually thanking God for the saints, and he's thanking God for the work that takes place. And so, yes, does he, he speak toward for this reason and then gives a reason in, in some ways, yes. But I think primarily the reason, as I'll show you in just a moment, is coming from verses 3 to 14. Let me explain and keep it in context. Verse 3. Now, just walk through this, and if you, you, you're one of those like myself, and my scripture, I have it highlighted with all the references to the Lord Jesus and all the references to God in yellow. And it just I want it just to leap off the page. And so if, you're, if it would be help you, I want you to just circle or underline the aspects where it talks about God and His work and His will and His purpose and His, his power that's going to be at work. And I let you just see who's on display here. Us, the recipient of salvation, or God, the grantor. The one who guarantees and the one who redeems and the one who saves. The one who actually redeems us. The Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father. And so let's just read this text. And I I think it will make more sense as we pray thoughtfully that it should begin. Our prayer should begin with trusting a sovereign God who saves. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoptions as sons through, Christ, through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that, We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, for those reasons that you see salvation come, you realize your need for Christ. And we would all, and then he'll go through very quickly in Ephesians chapter 2 and just walk through how much it wasn't us, right? And I want to take time, but it would be a good read, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, just to continue to prove the point. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and so on and so forth. The wrath of God uh, was uh, abiding upon 
us in that time. And then, in light of the work that He's done in us, because of His great grace, that He saved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we've been saved. This manifests itself in us by the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, for this reason, I'm seeing now the fruits of God's work. But I see trusting the, the sovereign Lord by his work in your life and the power of the Holy Spirit that brings conviction of sin that leads you unto repentance and regenerates your, 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 your uh, re- makes you new, makes you a new creation. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And what he's communicating is, I'm trusting in the sovereign work of God. And I see the sovereign work of God at, 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 sovereign work of God in, at work in your lives. I see it that you, I've heard then that you have faith in the Lord Jesus. That's right. That's a component of salvation, right? Confess Jesus Christ the Lord, degree that Christ is Lord. And then as a result of that, that if you love me, you'll love others, right? And so then ultimately then you have a love for Christ and your love toward all the saints. And as a result of that, I'm, the thoughtfulness, the, the thoughtfulness in prayer would be, let's be careful, that we don't give praise to the individual. Who's the one at work? It's God who wills and works for his good pleasure. And so thoughtfully praying through this, even as we pray for others, I would encourage us as we see the manifestation of, this, of the work of God in the lives of believers, a, a more biblical prayer to pray, and, and not just the works of semantics, but to ensure that God gets his glory, is that many times you may have heard some individuals say something like this, I praise God for you. That places. Praise where it's due. I praise God for the work of grace in your life. I praise God for the fruits in keeping with repentance. I praise God for the Spirit's work in your life to help you to be uh, obedient to the Scriptures or being conformed to the image of Christ. This is where Paul begins praying thoughtfully. He, and if you're not careful, you can just read that and he says, man, he's always thanking the church and man, we should be really thankful uh, for the church and in this that he he does communicate aspects he heard from the ch- about the church and what they're doing but he's quick here to say his trust is god you're the one who's granted these blessings you're the one who's who's predestined for adoption you're the one that's working according to your will and purpose you're the one who's established this plan for the foundations of the world you're the one who's uh, blessed us through, or redeemed us through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses you're the one who sent the holy spirit of god that then as a result of the spirit's work in us when we heard the word of truth the gospel of our salvation we would believe in him but it was the spirit's work that enabled us to be able to do those things and so praying thoughtfully begins with trusting a sovereign god who saves for this Reason, because you're at work within us. And we're seeing verses 3 through 14 manifested now in verse 15 that because that's transpired in your life, because the Spirit of God now has taken up residence within you, because He's enabled you to, to understand his, his commandments and to obey those commandments, that I see now in you, I've heard your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. When we pray, Many, many times our prayers, as Tim alluded to in our, our corporate time of discussion about this in, this, in, the, in, our, in the fellowship hall, and not of this passage, but in previous questions, was how do I know if I'm praying selfishly? How often are you thanking God for the Spirit's work in your life and the life of others? Where when you see obedience, we don't give credit to the individual, we give credit to the work of God. Now, reality is, is it, to the point, was many times we'll say, but I, I, I just want this brother or sister in Christ to be encouraged. You, just question, you don't think they're going to be encouraged that you see obedience in their life and you communicate glory to God for the obedience in their life? You don't think they'll be encouraged by that? Must we make it solely about them? Or can we give God the glory and God the praise and we still receive our encouragement and edification building up that they see in us what hopefully we desire for more than anything else, that we'd be conformed to the image of Christ? So let's be careful that we're not making those uh, uh, juxtaposed to one another when they're not. I believe we can absolutely exhort one another, as it's called today, at the same time giving God all the praise for his glorious work of grace in our lives. And so praying thoughtfully begins with trusting a sovereign God who saves. Number two, praying thoughtfully continues. It begins with trusting a sovereign God who saves. It continues with a grateful heart that glorifies God. Verse 16 
For this reason, in verse 15, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Question, who is Paul talking to in prayer? Talk to me. Who's Paul talking to in prayer? Talking to God in prayer, correct? Right? That's what we do when we pray. We talk to God. So I'm remembering you in my prayers. And remembering you, what's he doing when he remembers them? He doesn't cease to give thanks to God. And so as we think through these things, biblical praying is that we, it starts with God. Once again, Father, hallowed be your name. I believe this, these two operate in that context. It begins with trusting the sovereign God who saves Father. And then... It continues with a grateful heart that glorifies God. Hallowed be your name. You see it coming alive in Luke 11, right? So it's not just trying to like just recite those words. No, Paul's demonstrating this prayer fully in the context of what he's discussing here, but he's doing it in a different manner. He's applying it to the church of Ephesus. Father, look at, your, look at the family that you're, you're assembling. Look at the body that you're creating. Look at you, your kingdom being established that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And man, you're building your kingdom. And I see the fruits of your work from what I've, uh, from what I've heard about their faith in you and in your love, uh, their love toward one another. I understand where that comes from. See, in my own testimony this morning, how did I absolutely know when I was saved and why I wasn't saved before? Because I didn't genuinely have a love for God, that I wanted His name to be held in my life at all aspects of my, of my time, that I, want, I had a love for the body of Christ. I wanted to be with the other body of Christ. I wanted the body of Christ to speak truth into my life. I wanted the body of Christ to encourage me, to hold me accountable. I wanted the body of Christ to, to teach me and lead me in the way, whereas I had no need for the body before. And so it continues with a grateful heart that glorifies God. I do not cease to give thanks for you. When's the last time that we thanked God for his work of grace in the lives of others? You know, so many times it's easy for us to go and pray in purgatory prayers or psalms against others, right? Not that you would do that, but we, we see only the conflict or we see only the the. the, the issues that we have maybe with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the primary aspect of, of our, our prayers potentially at times. But not the case for Paul. The prayer was, God, I thank you for the benefits I see in the body. And we could focus here, but what about all the people who left? What all the people who aren't here? What, do we, what, what about that? How about praising God for the people who are here? The people who have not left? The people who have, or want to honor the Lord in, in Scripture, not that those who have left do not. But my point is, to say, those who say, man, I, I, I want to I work this thing. I want to honor God. I want to trust Him. I want to seek the Scriptures. I want God to, to work in my life. And then we would thank God for that. The reality is, for you and I, that there's going to be plenty of opportunities for me to grow and for you to grow as we walk in a faith family. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for us to... to uh, exercise what the biblical commands are to forgive and to repent and to rebuke and to confront and, and a variety of other things. That, but ultimately, the reality here is that all along the way, can we thank God for the, His work of grace in the life of this body? And, and I, I, I could stop here and just point out singly, person by person by person by person, for those who I know are walking in, in Christ, for those I know who have give a testimony or profession of faith, and can begin to thank God for areas of, of grace that I see His work in you. For like time, I won't do that, but it might be a great exercise for me to, to do and, and, and communicating to you offline and even then communicate to one another as we see that. But one of the ways of praying thoughtfully, praying biblically for us may be, how about take our, our, members, our, our uh, membership directory and just begin as we go through that, as we want to pray for them, let's take time to actually thank God for them. And from that, yes, and encouragement, you may pin them a letter and say, hey, I just want to let you know I prayed for you this morning and here's what well, I was I was. I thanked God for you in this way. What if we were started receiving letters like that on a, even a weekly basis? We, hey, I'm going to send one letter a week. You could pr- pretty much get through all of our membership role in about almost a year, right? 52 weeks. I think we're around 53 members as far as active members that who are not active, but members here or here. And we have, they have children and so on and so forth. But as far as actual members, that even just did one a week. Think about the number of people in this room that we start getting cards from one another, thanking God for his 
work of grace in our lives. How, how much encouragement would that bring and how much glory to God's name would that bring? Praying thoughtfully begins with trusting a sovereign God who saves and it continues with a grateful heart that glorifies God. Number three, and this is where uh, these next two points are not as easily um, uh, understood. So I'll, I'll pray that God would give me aid in communicating clearly this morning. So praying thoughtfully, number three, desires the greatest good for others through prayer. Praying thoughtfully desires the greatest good for others through prayer. Now here's where I, uh, I want to press this just a little bit. And it's going to continue into our sermon for next week as we look at James chapter 5. Many times we hear of a physical need. And I even alluded to earlier that we can pray thoughtlessly about that without going to great length. And let me, let me give you a, a, a uh, we put it in a different category to hopefully help us to see it a little more spiritually, but we put it in a very, in physical ways. There's, there's individuals who come by this church quite regularly, in person come by this church, or call on the phone and, re- and request financial aid. And the reality for us is that we want information about them. Here's what we don't know. We don't know anything uh, about many of those who call. We don't know their spiritual condition. We don't know if they're a faithful member to a church down the road. And as a result of that, why aren't they asking help from the faith family that they currently have? And if they have asked help from that faith family, then we want to encourage them. That they, that, and we, we, we want to help them to call that faith family and, and try to inquire why that faith family will not provide for them. If they have the responsibility to care for their own members. Why wouldn't they not do that? And so we want to try to find out information that are you a member at another church somewhere, that that church should be caring for you and for, protecting, uh, for ministering to you and protecting you, both physically and spiritually. And James 2 and a variety of other, First uh, John 4 and others would be able to communicate passages where we should care for the body and, and primarily our local assembly. So are they a believer? Are they a non-believer? Are they a member of a church? Are they not a member of a church? And so we're going to begin asking questions. Do they have a drug problem? Are they going to squander this money? And how do they arrive here? And it's not that we want an all, an, to know all of their business. But the reality is you are asking us for help and we desire the greatest good for you. Yes, we could pay your rent for if you're in a, uh, an extended stay for this week. Here's my question to you. Because I love you and I want to treat you like I want to treat my children, do you have plans for next week? We can cover this week. What's your plans for next week? What's your plans for the week after that? Are you going to have a shortfall again and again and again? Our desires for your greatest good, even if it is physical. Have you thought through that? If you are thinking through that, how, how can we help you to think through that? And many times they don't want that. Either give me something immediately or I'm out the door. I had even a lady this, this week that came by our, our, our church and, and, and Shelby was inc- just trying to minister to her and trying to and just get grabbing some information from her. And it's like the moment we didn't just grant whatever request she had and we, we clearly didn't say no. Just trying to get clarity and understanding. It was like, clearly you're not going to help me. I'm going to leave. And so the question is like, so is, is it like that? Like, just pray for me however I want to pray. Well, how right do you fit? What if they're praying pridefully? Remember we just talked about it last week. God does not answer selfish prayers. What if they're praying pridefully? And so in this text for us, it's encouraging us to think through that praying thoughtfully desires the greatest good for others through prayer. And when we start with God and we thank God for His salvation begins with Him and sanctification continues with Him, then our greatest good would be what? They would know God more. And this is exactly where he picks up in verse 17. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then the prayers are that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Here's the key here. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What is he asking for on their behalf? They would know God. If the greatest good that any of us are going to receive is that we get to see God face to face, we get to interact with Him. What was taken away in the Garden of of Eden will be restored when we walk with Christ in the cool of the day. We will see Him, as 1 John communicates, and we will be like Him. And what is the greatest good that God could give any one of us? More knowledge of who He is. More understanding of his, his character, his, his will, his purpose. Greater understanding of his word. 
And the reality is that he gives the context for that. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of glory. And so here, here the reality in this is that God sent Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, to give the fullest revelation of himself to us. You want to know what God looks like? Look to Jesus. How do we know what Jesus looks like? We, we look in the word of what the Bible describes about him. That's why we, we fight for and we contend for the faith. Because ultimately we want to, to guard who God is and how he's revealed himself to us. And so the greatest desire for us is that we would know God. And so in this, when someone asks you for a physical prayer, it's not to say we can't pray for that physical need, but here's what we got. The reality is that they may simply be attempting to use God. And they're praying selfishly. And if our greatest goal for them is that they would be conformed to the image of Christ, our greatest goal for them is they would see Christ more, they would know Christ more, then here's what we need to be able to communicate to them. Listen, you need to know this God you serve that you cannot manipulate Him. And more prayer isn't necessarily better prayer. You need to know the God unto whom you pray. And worship the God that you pray. Do you know Him as Father? And if you don't know him as father, you can't come to him and request things because you don't have an intercessor and a mediator and and a savior that's redeemed you so that you can come into his throne boldly. Is this prayer desiring for God's name to be hallowed? Do you want God's kingdom to come and your will be done? What if your cancer, what if this situation that you're in, the very trial that you're in, you could actually give God glory for because it's conforming you to the image of his son? Do we care enough about one another? And do we care enough about extended family members that we are willing to ask more questions? Because we really do desire for them to know the greatest good. We really do desire for them to know what's best for them. And what's best for them is to have a better understanding of who God is. Listen to me. I know that's not acceptable in many circles. I know that's not pleasant. I know individuals don't like it. Just, what, you don't like me? You, what, you, what, you, you don't trust me? You, you don't believe the best in me? No, I'm just trying to get clarity. But is that actually what you're asking for? Because I, I want what's best for you. I, I have these conversations with my own children. What are, you, what are you asking for? Why are you asking? Do you think God... You should expect God that he's going to give that to you. Why? Am am I somehow some kind of prideful, egotistical, legalist that I'm right and everyone else is wrong? No, the goal is I want to shepherd the souls of my wife and my children. I want to guard them that I know I can abuse the privilege we have in Scripture. And in that, God's like, you're not going to manipulate me. I already know what you need before you asked it. You're going to just use me? And you just remember scripture, right? John 5 feeds the 5,000. And they follow him, even across the sea. What are they following him for? We want you to do more signs. We want more free bread. Give us bread. We're, We're all about that. You get to teach. We just sit. We listen. We marvel at how wise you are. And you feed us for free. Man, it's much easier than going back home and working in the in the field. Let's do that. We'll just fall around and you feed us for free. And what was Jesus' teaching then? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You really want to be intimate with me? You want to consume me? You want to abide in me and my words abide in you that you might bear much fruits? What he was communicating there, John 6, is then communicating what it means by John 15. You're actually the the vine or the branches that, that shoot off from this vine. You're going to carry out my purposes? You want to glorify my Father and now He's your Father? You want His name to be hallowed like I want His name to be hallowed? You want His kingdom to come like I want His kingdom to come? Then eat me. Drink me. Consume me. Now what do they think? Well, what many of you might be thinking that I'm talking about right now if you're not familiar with the Bible. Are we talking cannibalism? What is going on here? He says, no, I want you to be consumed with my character and my nature. Or, Or, let me just ask a real blunt question. We'd be as crass as how you're communicating with me. Are you just here for a handout? You really want me? 
Because I've told my, my 12 that's here with me right now that they hate me and they're going to hate you too. And they're going to persecute me and they're going to persecute you. And they're going to strike me down and you're going to be scattered. This world is not your home. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Is that the ministry you want to be a part of? Oh, it comes with tremendous blessings. But it also comes ripe with strife and burdens. I just want you to know, consider the cost. Do you want me? Do you want to consume me? And then what does the scripture teach? John 6, 66. And many of the disciples left and followed him no longer. And he turns to the twelve and says, Are you going to depart also? Hey boys, the crowd's gone. The numbers have dwindled. The real serious ones are here. You want what's best? You want me? Because this is what's best. You just want stuff, you get hell. You want me, you get heaven. What do you want? Peter responds, and you alone have the words of eternal life. That's a good word. That's the words that need to abide in you and you in them. And so he desires the greatest good for others through prayer. And so that's why we, we need to be careful that not all of our prayers is just like, may all the physical go away. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for the physical, but my caution for us is how much do we and how much do others request us only to pray for the physical? Let me give you an illustration. It's like an individual who's eaten up with cancer and their skin begins to change colors and they begin to have sores on their face. And here's the request. Hey, I know I have cancer. But can I just ask, can I ask you to pray for me? Will you ask God that just these sores on my face would go away so I don't, I, I'm, it doesn't embarrass, I don't, I'm not embarrassed when others look at me? Oh, yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I'll pray for that. The, the, so the sores on your face, they would go away. Yes. Hey, can I just, what, what if we just left it there? Well, what if we asked them? I don't want to be, it might be very personal, but can I ask you where the sores are from? What's these, what's, what's going on there? Can I ask you what it, what's it, what it is that's going on with the, Why the sores? I don't, I don't have those. Why do I have sores? And they may respond to you, I don't know. Well, how about I pray that God would give you wisdom that you would go seek out medical advice from that? And pray that God, or maybe they do not say, well, I've got cancer. Well, listen, I, sores, I mean, I understand sores on your face, but how are you doing with that? Are you ready when you die that you're going to meet your creator? Are you reconciled to him? Are you an enemy of his? You see, you see what's going on there? We can just pray for the sores on their face and they might not know and we might not know. But if we can find out why the sores are there, maybe then there could be a greater good that could come out of this. And even in the midst of their cancer that might take their life, they're now in heaven where they would not have been. It's a thoughtlessness. That's why I'm bringing it back full circle. It's a thoughtlessness and a lack of love and of care for one another if we don't press in and ask just a few more questions. And Paul will not have that. Paul says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Now, let me bring clarity to that. What is this spirit of wisdom? A spirit of wisdom. This is not the Holy Spirit. Right? Why? Why? They're believers. Go back to verse uh, 14 or verse 13. In Him, when you also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the earnest money, the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Well, then it's, it's our spirit that's within us. I, I think those work in conjunction together, that God's going to work, but I think the key here is that if you look at even Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's an attitude. An attitude, under, understanding. 
That God would grant you an, an attitude to apply the truths of Scripture. And if, so an attitude that we would be able to apply the words of Scripture and of revelation. And we need to then, so where do we find how to apply these truths of Scripture? From the revelation of the knowledge of Him. Where do you find that? In the Bible. And so the reality here is to be able to say, I, I want the greatest desire for you is to be able to, for you to obey and to understand and to live in accordance to the words of Scripture. And if you're going to do that, you need to look to the Scriptures to be able to understand that. And so spiritual, primarily a spiritual prayer more so than a physical prayer. And if you were to look at the, the pages of, of, the, of the New Testament, that's what you're going to see more and more often than even physical prayers. Are there physical prayers in there? Yes, the thorn of the flesh should be removed, and that might have spiritual components to it as well. But the reality is, the issue, the context is, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God. And so that you would apply, have an attitude to apply the Bible accurately with a proper understanding of who God is as he's revealed himself in the Bible. Once again, is that how we're praying for our members? How we're praying for one another? Listen, I, I know it's easier to just give in, in small group time or in, in, in conversation with another. You want to kind of, hey, there's, there's prayers that I may pray with just my wife and I. And these are the, those are the intimate ones where I just open up the, my, my chest cavity and be able to expose all the skeletons that are found within, all the sins and lay them bare. And maybe put on a better front for my kids and then they may get brought into some areas and then maybe to some really close friends. And outside of that, it's, and we're going to keep you really at arm's length or longer. You're not going to get in. I understand you need to have confidentiality, and I understand there are certain things that in the context of, of, of what's appropriate, male and female relationships, I get that outside of marriage. I understand all of those dynamics. But the reality for us, the reality for you and I, is that that's missing the absolute point of why we're a part of a body to begin with. We, we need one another. Exhort one another. It's called today. And the reality for us as, as pastors, do you understand why we receive a salary from you? Do you understand why we receive a salary from you? I mean, I never thought through this. We understand this is a really big book with lots of words. It was written over 40 different authors, 1,500 years. Three different continents, three different languages. Cultural barriers that we didn't grow up in. And so it's, it can be difficult. Now, let me say, I believe in the priesthood of the believer. The Spirit of God is in you. can take the word of God. That's why we're grateful that it was translated into our language that every man can have it. But the reality is even in that, we can misinterpret it. We cannot apply it correctly. And so one of the reasons that elder, especially those who teach, worth double honor, right, is right, you would want to pay them and, and so that they could help you to get to the real root meanings of what this is about. Why? Because desire would be the greatest good for me and the greatest good for you and the greatest good for all of us. We would all benefit. And so if we see others that have proper qualifications that look like a believer, based on 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, chapter 3, they have the ability to be able to teach and to teach in some coherent way that we can actually understand and apply, then let's free them up so they can study the Bible more. And as a result of that, they can help us and we all benefit from it. Now, it's not to say, once again, we say it every week and I'll say it again this week. Be like the Bereans. Study to see if what we've shown you is in the scripture and we could be able to encourage you to study and, and, and review behind us. But the reality in that is, if we want the greatest good, this is a big book. And many of us uh, have to provide for our families and should. The Bible will teach to do so in First Timothy chapter 5. If you don't do so, you're worse than an unbeliever. If you're not willing to work, you're not willing to eat. And so the Bible would tell us, I mean, we need to provide for our families. And so it can be difficult at times. To be able to learn and discern what the Bible teaches so that we can reproduce it. And so to have someone that can aid us in that is part of God's plan. And so our goal would be is that we would do this together. That's why we meet here. And why we share in there. And why we want you to ask questions. Just to be able to talk through this. And that we're not, Pastor Tim and I aren't coming up with new ideas. We point you right back to the book. Why do you do this? Point you right back to the book. Why do you do that? Right back to the book. Why would you see, think, see it this way? Right back to the book. Why? Because our goal is to your, their greatest good, that you and I would come through the revelation of the knowledge of Him from His Word, that we wouldn't have an attitude, that we want to yield ourselves humbly underneath His Word, and that He would speak to us and grant us a wisdom to obey what He's revealed. That's the greatest good. And so as we're, we're ask, people are asking us to pray, 
And as we're agreeing to pray for others, we've got to press in on this. Why are you asking for some of these things? What's going on in the context? And are we, are we willing to do those things? Can we do those things? Are we helping them? Are we in helping others? So going back to the financial need I mentioned before. A person says, I'm a part of this church. And they're not, they won't help me. And I'm, Are you a known sin? Are you a member there? Are you in good standing within them? And here's just a question is that we're we'd happy to call your, your, your pastors as well and, and confirm some of these things and ask them questions. But if they won't care for you, maybe here's just a question. Maybe you should find another church where they will care for you. If you're not squandering your resources and these are legitimate needs, then because here's what I know about this church. We're not meeting budget. Right? We'll talk about that tonight at our members meeting. But if there was a genuine need within this body of Christ, someone gets in a, a major car accident and there was needs and they were going to potentially lose their home or, or it's confident they're going to lose their home and we can't buy them a home, I, I, I'm pretty sure this faith family is going to come together and we're going to take care of that person in a manner that they won't go homeless and they won't go hungry. I, I, do I get to my head nods? That would be, I, I don't have any question that would be the case for this faith family, right? And we've seen it in times past. And we're not a super affluent church. There's no, I'm aware of any super millionaires in here. And if so, you need, if you'd at least tithe, that would really help us out. Okay? I, for real. But I, I don't assume that's the case. And so as a result of that, here's what I know about this. The love of Christ shed abroad in your hearts because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We will take care of our members. And so I'm not telling you you need to come here. I'm just saying you might need to think about not staying there. Why? Because we believe what the Bible teaches us. And we desire the greatest good for you. And if you're going to a place that either teaches you improperly or is leading you improperly, we'd encourage you to think through that biblically, and then that would be a biblical reason to leave. Anyway, enough of that rant. All right, praying thoughtfully. Begins with trusting a sovereign God who saves, continues with a grateful heart that glorifies God, desires the greatest good for others through prayer, and finally, understands the need, understands the need for God's aid to know him and his will in accordance with his word. To know them, to, to, who understands the need for God's aid to know him and his will in accordance with his word. So let's keep it in context. Whose will and plan was it to send Christ to the earth? God, thank you. God's will and plan to send Christ to the earth, right? And for him to die on the cross for sin and to make a way for sinners and that making payment for, uh, for sin... For make, uh, and so as a result of that, that we now, in Christ, come to the Father. And His righteousness was placed upon all those who repent and believe. And as a result of that, then God doesn't look to our sin. He looks to the righteousness of Christ. And now we can go into, boldly, uh, go into the, uh, the throne of grace boldly in prayer because of Him. So it's Him who began that work. Right? And so if He's the one who began the work, it was nothing of our own merit. It was nothing of our own worth. It was nothing of our own intellect, our own understanding. He was the one who opened our eyes. And it is him who began that work that's going to need to complete it into the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. And this is exactly what Paul communicates here. Now, track with me, verse 17 and 18. Remember you always my prayers, verse 16, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation and knowledge of him. So he needs to grant you what I've mentioned before. And so then how does he do that? Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart's enlightened he's saying i know you need help to understand spiritually to discern difficult truths that can be in the scriptures that the natural man will not come to a understanding of some of these truths it can be difficult i mean even if we when we go back to second peter listen to the word here that it's that that uh, peter addresses in his second epistle That'd be uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 14 and following. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as, as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in, in, uh, speaks, sorry, in them of these matters, these are some things in the, uh, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other, the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away 
with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You know what he's saying? What Paul writes sometimes, it's really hard to understand it. And guess what? I think Paul knows that. And so Paul says, listen, I'm praying for you that some of the things that I communicate to you, they weren't given to me because I'm just super smart. What did he do with the scriptures before he came to faith in Christ? Perverted them just exactly what Peter was warning them to do with now the New Testament scriptures that were given through him by the Holy Spirit. He stood there and held the clothes of those who stoned Stephen to death. First New Testament martyr. You think he's obeying the scriptures? He thought he was. He thought he was. And so now he writes to knowing how he could pervert the scriptures and and understand that. And he writes numerous times about him being the least of the apostles, a murderer of of the saints. That he says, now, I'm praying that you understand the need for God's aid to know his will and to know him in accordance with his word. It can be perverted. And I don't want you to pervert it. You need the eyes of your heart enlightened. The the eye, so once again, that anthropomorphic, what is it again, Tim? Anthropomorphic, thank you, right? Personifying these things, these concepts, right? So does, where's your heart? And is it even speaking of your physical organ? And if it's speaking of that, does my physical organ have eyes? No. It's personifying the seat of your heart, the seat of your emotions, your affections, your understanding. I want you to, your, your heart, your, your, your love for God to leap with joy as you see Him working more and more. And that you trust him and you love him and you seek even more that he would, as, as Moses said, show me your glory. Right? Now here's the question. Had he not seen God's glory? This is Exodus chapter 33. Had he not seen God's glory up to this point? Oh, he'd seen it. Right? A leprous hand, water into blood, staff that became a snake, a serpent, and he picked it up the serpent and it becomes a staff again. The ten plagues, water from a rock, manna from heaven, quail from heaven. Pillar of fire by, by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Meeting on the, on the mountainside to receive the, the, uh, the, the Pentateuch. Had, had he not seen God? He not held the staff above his head with aid from Aaron and Ur and seen victory over the Amalekites? Had he not seen the glory of God? Absolutely he had. But what it did, it had a heart. His eyes of his heart was enlightened that he wanted more and more to see of God's glory that his name could be known. And that ultimately this great heavenly father was providing for his people that ultimately he wanted his name to be hallowed. That even when God says, I'm going to strike down this people and I'm going to start over with you. Oh, no, not for your name's sake. What will the nations think about you? He wanted God's name to be glorified. So he understood, I, I, I need more of you. I want more of you. And this is what we need. What we need to pray for one another. We have to ask somebody, how are you doing spiritually? Are you growing? And to pray for them that they would Understand, man, you need to ask God to help you. I pray many times, Luke 24, 45. And Luke 24, it says after Jesus' resurrection, he's meeting with disciples and it says he opened their eyes so they might understand the scriptures. And that's exactly what he's saying, God. Open my eyes. As I, as I sit down to prepare a sermon to teach to your people, open my eyes so I understand your scriptures. I can apply them biblically. Are we praying that for our members? We pray in that for other members, for other Christians. And so then what, what, that's our desire. Then a few points in that that we need, would need to understand. So if a praying thoughtfully understands the need for God's aid to know him and his will in accordance with his word, then Christians, Christians need God's aid to do the following. And he lists three things there. Christians need God's aid to know the hope of salvation, verse 18. The hope of salvation. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope of to which he has called you. This isn't the way we sometimes talk about hope. Man, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or I hope it rains today. Is this some uncertain fact? No, this is a hope and a certainty that I have been called. And this isn't a call to ministry. And I called it. This is a call to Christ in salvation. I want you to know the absolute certainty that you have. That you are in Christ. A certain hope. And that was it not fit into exactly what we've been talking about. 
Trust in the sovereign God who saves, which for this reason, going back to verses 3 through 14, that salvation wasn't of us, but it was of God. And we are now looking to God and we're trusting to God, praying spiritual prayers, not just physical prayers for others, but spiritual prayers for others, that they would have God's aid to know with confidence their relationship with Christ. And that's why then you see a variety of sections of Scripture, primarily 1 John, was written so that they may know that. Once again, if you turn to 1 John, it's to begin to mark all the areas that you see a variety of, of the terms know. Here it is, if you see mine, if you can see it, all the yellow. Just look through this on yellow. All the time it says to know or be sure of or to is known or knows. As you just walk through this passage, all the yellow highlighted in my Bible here that you can look and see, it's the numerous times that that word is used. God wants us to have certainty of the hope that we have in Him. That we are soundly saved. And Christians need God's aids to know that. Secondly, Christians need, God, need God's aid to know the riches of His glorious inheritance. The riches of God's glorious inheritance. It says this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. We need God's aid in that. That you may know what the hope is to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 13 of chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. Future. It's a down payment, right? Guarantee. Earnest money. Down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his Glory. See what we taught in First Peter, was it, is it not? First Peter chapter 1, the test of genuity of your faith that may prove that our faith is genuine, that will only be fully revealed at the coming of Christ. If we don't even know who we are in Christ, if we don't know who we are in Christ, so just to tie together the hope of our salvation, and because we know who we are, we know what we, what's available to us. So when you begin to look at a budget, you begin to set aside money, and you're denying yourself now because you maybe potentially want to buy, uh, uh, to be able to go on vacation or to be able to buy something that you've been longing for, or something that you really need, and how much is going to bless you in the, in the future if you can only raise enough money to be able to, 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 to purchase it. And he says, now, why would we deny ourselves now for the hope that we have in the future, for this inheritance of what we're going to be able to gain, and even in a greater way of that uh, temporal illustration to be able to say even more so in a spiritual way that God says if you would know the riches of this inheritance that you're giving up nothing here nothing Christians need God's aid to know the hope of salvation to know the riches of his glorious inheritance and finally to know the immeasurable greatness of his power at work the immeasurable greatness of his power at work it says in verse 19 and have now as your heart enlightened Verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Oh, the power that's available to us, that's availed to us as believers. The Bible helps us with that. In your, it says in your notes there, verse 20 through 23, the power of God. That immeasurable greatness of that power then is demonstrated in the life of Christ. The power of God is demonstrated in the life of Christ. He continues. He says, that ultimately, we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of this power toward us who believe. And then he says, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So through the resurrection, you see the power of God. And not only the resurrection, but the ascension. And then the, the coronation of that, of him being at the right hand of, of, of God in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. The power of God that now rules in, uh, in Christ, that now rules and reigns over everything and everyone. His power through the resurrection, his power through ascension, his power through his coronation, his power of his, his government being given to Christ, and how he now rules over every other supposed power that exists there. 
And in verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And the power of God over us as a body. And then he will provide for all of our needs. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The, the, the variety of passages that the scripture teaches us about Christ being all that we need. And once again, it ties back, does it not, to, to Luke's? You have a earthly fathers who give you good gifts. How much more so will your heavenly father not give you the power of the Holy Spirit? Give you good gifts? That's why we need a body. He'll begin prompting in you. He's seeing needs in my life as I'm being transparent. Maybe if I'm not even being transparent, he, you begin to look and say, man, I think there might be a need there. And just come up and say, hey, I, I know this might be awkward, it might be odd. How are you doing financially? How are you doing spiritually? The person's transparent with them. And then, man, I want to apply James too. I see my brother in need. I'm not going to tell him to be warm and filled and go in peace. No, I'm going to provide for some of the needs he has in his life. I'm going to try to care for him. That's the good gifts of the Heavenly Father working through the power of the Holy Spirit through a body of Christ. And it's demonstrated through God's power at work toward us according to His great might. And it's seen, it's demonstrated in the life of Christ. And then, last point, we're going to look to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And now we're going to see the immeasurable greatness of his power at work. The power of God is now not just demonstrated in the life of Christ, but the power of God is described in the life of a Christian. Demonstrated in the life of Christ is now described in the life of the Christian. This is the second prayer that Paul prays to the, uh, for the church of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And in this I close. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. So this power is not just for physical, it's strength to understand Christ, it's strength power to, in our inner being to know Christ more, that we can be being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, whether it's to breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Once again, what's the greatest gift we could pray for others, the greatest good we could pray for others? Do you know the fullness of the love of God? And we need His power to help us. And now, in that context, not I can do what I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and rip that out of context. That of, that's really speaking in Philippians four about contentment with physical provision. And now here we see now to him is who is able to do far more abundant than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's not just saying I can do whatever I want. And we're saying God is able to answer that prayer. Because nothing would give God more glory to the answer to prayer that you would know how much you are loved in Christ. And when you know that, you have greater confidence to represent Him to this world. That's why then in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and bond of peace. When you are confident of the love of God and you are confident that you're interpreting Scripture accurately and even when you have to confront brothers and sisters in Christ and even when you have to challenge one another and even when you won't be liked, you can say, I know, God, you're doing this for my good and I know you're doing this to help me to, to encourage others because sometimes when I speak truth and love, they reject me and they reject you. And it reminds me of Samuel. When Israel asked for a king so they could be like the world. And he told Samuel, they are not rejecting you. They are rejecting me. And men and women, as your pastor, pastors, Pastor Tim and I, speak truth sometimes. You reject us. But we know it's not a rejection of us as long as we're in the word. It's a rejection of the truth. And so we pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to the truth of God's word because there's no ill intent or, or uh, motive on our, selfish motive on our part. We want you to know God. We know the snares that can come. As Paul, Peter wrote about Paul, sometimes they pervert the things that he teaches and it's inaccurate and we want to help you with that. And so as a result of that, the love that you need to know that surpasses all understanding is that you would continue to stay steadfast in teaching the truth even when you and it is rejected. And if you've been in this any length of time, you've had family members who say they love Christ that rejected you in the Scriptures. You've had former members who rejected you in the Scriptures. And former employees or coworkers and 
and classmates and a variety of others who claim the name of Christ and reject you in the scriptures. And sometimes it can be like, I don't want to, I'm done. I'm just going to just worry about my inner circle and I'm not going to love on others. And that would be absolutely not what God would want you to do. He would want you to continue to reach out to others. And to pray as our Father, our, our Lord pray, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If they would have, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, they would never reject you. And so I commend you. The reason we need to know the strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that we may be filled with all the fullness of God is that when times get tough, we remain steadfast and we remain loving. That's how we pray thoughtfully. Do we care enough about others not just to be like, oh yeah, I'll pray for that. No, if we really care for them, we'll ask a few more questions so that we know how to pray more accurately, more biblically, more humbly, as we talked about last week, and more thoughtfully. Let's pray. Father, we ask that the truths that we just learned would be. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.